am Dr. Liz, a pediatrician and parent coach. Welcome to my podcast, 10 Going on 20, Parenting Preteens to Young Adults. Join me in my amazing array of guests, including experts, parents, and youth, for conversations that will support you in having happier, healthier, and more connected relationships with your kids as they get older. Let's talk. So this is going to be a special episode. I have six people here today who I met over 10 years ago, and we've been collaborating with each other ever since. Everyone is a health expert in their own right, ranging from physicians, psychologists, social workers, chiropractors, and somatic movement specialists. We are an international group. Two are from Germany, one's from the UK, and the rest are from different parts of the United States. We are all committed to health and wellness for all. And since every group should have a name, we call our group Health and Happiness for Humanity. So today, I asked my colleagues to provide helpful parenting strategies and communication tips based on their vast experience and expertise. So let's get started. My first guest is Beata Ebert. She is a German clinical psychologist in private practice and a trainer for acceptance and commitment therapy. Welcome, Beata. Hi, Liz. Thanks for agreeing to be on this podcast. I'm so excited to have you on it. I am going to start off with a question that I'm going to ask everyone today. So this question is, what do you love about your work? Hmm. Oh, there are many things I love about my work because I would not want to have another profession. And I think what I love most is when people I work with are seeing new possibilities and a Mm. new freedom in their life. And maybe when you listen as a parent now to this podcast with your daily burden and especially with the corona crisis, maybe you do feel threatened or sad or scared. And this is very human. So I really hope this podcast helps you to find more choices and more freedom in your life. And you do one of the most important jobs in our society to raise kids. And you deserve lots of support. Mm, That's great. So I am sure the listeners will find a lot of helpful information from you and everyone to come. So from your experience as a clinical psychologist, how can parents connect with their kids as they get older? What What pearls of wisdom can you give them to get through this challenging period? Hmm. Thanks for this question. I think this is one of the most frequent and also painful questions I hear from parents. Um, Recently, one mom expressed it like that. I'm desperate to get in contact with my kid again. It feels like a wall between us. And her girl, she's 16. She withdraws from her family. She locks herself into her room. She doesn't take most of the meals with her family. She feels depressed and empty and her school grades became worse. And she even cuts herself and has Mm. thoughts like, without me, my parents would have less trouble. And my pearl of wisdom is you as parents can learn a lot and practice a lot how to deal with that. And we psychotherapists, we really have some helpful tools that can be useful for you, even for the rest of your life. My tools come from acceptance and commitment therapy. And for many people, they work very well. And I also use them for my own life. Actually, Those tools are so valuable for every human being that I think they should be taught at school. This would prevent many therapies later. And what you can learn is to be open and accepting for your experiences, even for painful experiences. Because when you stop fighting 
your painful experiences, it becomes easier. Then you can also learn to be present and to get some distance from your thoughts and feelings. And you can find out what is really important to you. This will give you power to do difficult new steps. So practicing these three skills, being open, being aware, and being engaged, according to many scientific studies, allows you to lead a life that's more fulfilled. And you can deal better with difficult life circumstances. And you as parents, if you don't take some space for yourself and you don't take good care of yourself, you will probably not have the best capacities to help your kids. The best to start with yourself and nurture yourself. And to make it really practical, I have a three-minute exercise for you that gives you the most important skills I talked about in a nutshell. You can practice it every day and it will help you. Only when you're just driving your car. Please do not do the exercise now. <laughs> Parents, did you hear that? Not when you're driving. Pull over, please. You can do it later when you're back home. But when you're sitting in a chair, safe, in a room, you can try it out. I call it the listening exercise. As you practice listening to yourself. And how you do it is, you find a comfortable position for your body. And the first step is to notice your body. You can start with wiggling your toes. Feeling your feet wander up your legs. Feel your buttocks, your back, and your belly, your breasts, your shoulders, arms, and hands, your neck, and your head with your face. So what do you notice when you listen to your body? Is there some tension or discomfort? You want to move a little? Or is it all well? Are you hungry or full? Just listen and get aware. Second step is to start listening to your feeling. You can do that by breathing in and asking yourself silently, is there any feeling that wants to be noticed right now? You listen, breathe again, and invite any feeling that would like to get some attention in this moment. And when you notice a feeling, Please do not do anything about it. Try to allow the feeling with your breathing. Give it space. It might become bigger when you are breathing or smaller or stay the same. Just observe what is happening. If it is a difficult feeling, be kind with yourself. Tell yourself, oh, this is really a difficult feeling for me. And then allow it again. Third step, you listen to your thoughts. Can you identify one single thought that is in your mind right now? Maybe something like, what should I cook later? Or I have no idea what this woman is talking about. Notice the thought. Ah, okay. This is the thought I have right now. And then move your attention to the next thought. And maybe one more thought. And the last step is to ask yourself, what is really important to me today? What would I like to take care of today? What matters to me? And when you've found something, please take it with yourself into the more conscious awareness, back to the room where you are right now listening to this podcast. And now, as you hopefully feel better grounded in yourself, maybe you can also listen to your kid and connect more to her or him. The 16-year-old kid I described above had a hard time to connect to herself. She was uncertain how to feel her deep sadness and how to deal with it. She learned more about that and she's much better now and spends time with her family again. So exercises like this listening exercise can help you both to connect to yourself and to your kid. And I hope that's really helpful for you.
Well, thanks, Beata. Well, that was an amazing exercise, being open, aware, and engaged. And I'm sure this exercise will allow parents to recharge themselves. So thank you for that. Thank you for giving me this opportunity a little bit. Oh, of course. And now we have our next guest, Dr. Robert Pope, who is a retired chiropractor who is now a professional transformational coach based in Utah. Welcome, Robert. Hi, Liz. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to spending this time with you and people who are listening. Well, the first question, as I'm asking all my guests today, is what do you love about your work? You know, what I love most about my work is my clients. It's fascinating to just be able to be with somebody and have this experience of getting their world. I mean, really understanding where they're coming from, what they're dealing with, and see the innocence that really is in the background of over all of their fears and all of their concerns and all of their struggles. Oh, that's great. What would you tell a parent who wants a better relationship with their teen or young adult? What advice would you give them? When parents begin to deal with their teens, their preteens in that year, it's time for the parents to grow. I'm a, I'm a father of five. I've been married a few other times and have some stepchildren. So I've had stepchildren that I've helped raise through the teen years, plus my own. And I'm really clear there was a time for my learning to really increase. I, I think there was so much opportunity to realize that they change when they get their pre-teen years. I mean, it's obvious they change, but their minds go through a completely different stage of dealing with life because they're starting to look at who they are maybe in relationship to other people, who they are in relationship to friends and family. There is so much for the children, you know, and the parents to really understand that it's going to be important that the parents pay attention to what their kids are really up to in their life. What's important to their child? I used to think my children should be interested in what I was interested in. They aren't. <laughs> And sometimes they are, but for the most part, they're not really interested in what I'm interested in. So it takes, for me, I had to listen to my kids again, pay attention to what they're interested in, where they're coming from. I remember one of my stepdaughters, her mother had been, had a tendency to be really loving at times and, and then sometimes be very cruel. And often I would have a chance to talk with a, this young one after these occasions and remind her that she is important and that her her desires and her needs and her interests really do matter in her life. There's opportunities to discipline children. And when I have worked with children and my clients and their parents and who have been sometimes quick to judgment and quick to anger, that the impact on their child was that the child felt unloved, not appreciated, not acknowledged. And when a child acts out, I'm clear it's a time for more love, not less. Mm. And to increase love when a child is acting out takes a lot from a parent, it takes a lot of confidence, and it takes a lot of centering and balancing and getting really clear on what's really important. A child responds to love because their nature is love. When they're feeling attacked by a parent, it just so destroys their self-worth and their self-esteem. And to a parent whose child is suffering from self-esteem, it would serve you as a parent to get really, really interested in that child and then acknowledge any progression that they make that's more positive in your life. And to acknowledge someone is to see what's really behind all they're acting out. 
to see their authentic self, to see the, the being in the background that's actually divine. When a child's acting up, they do not seem divine at all. But at the core, they still are, and they will respond to that. So it was apparent when you, we recognize their strengths and their attributes and their gifts, and we keep speaking to that, speaking to that, talking about that, encouraging them to explore those things. They will feel like they belong, and they will start to find their way. They want your love more than they want your advice. That's what we respond to. That's great, Robert. So, and thanks for being here. Go yeah, you're welcome. And now I would like to welcome Jane Akondo, who is a somatic movement therapist and trainer based in the UK. So welcome, Jane. Hi, Liz. Thank you. Great to be here with you. Oh, I, I'm so glad that you're here today. You know the question, what do you love about your work? What do I love about my work? I was thinking about this and what I came up with most was what gives me really satisfaction is when people begin to find a really clear and empowering relationship with their body. And, and, and what I see is when we begin to understand how our body works, how our body moves when we're relaxed, or when we're under stress, we can begin explore seeing how this impacts our well-being. Um, so this is the underlying bit. And, and what I see in that is that people really begin to gain confidence. They begin to feel confident about themselves and how to take care of themselves. Mm, that's great. So the first question is, you get two questions, because my first question is, what is a somatic movement therapy? A therapist and and what do you do because I'm sure most of my listeners don't know or are not familiar with that yeah well in a nutshell somatic movement therapist is that you're working with uh, it's like counseling but you're including presence of body presence of how body works presence of how your body moves and an understanding that our, our body is our self-expression Mm. And it can be really impacted when things are not working out. So it's, it's, it's including that as part of, of, uh, of an awareness of, of what's needed. Mm, that's In great. A nutshell. <laughs> In a nutshell. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure it's a lot more complicated than that. So mm. it can be very stressful being a parent of a teenager or a young adult. Parents and teens are frequently at odds. I know we only have a few minutes, Jane, but are there any helpful tips or techniques that you can give that will be helpful to parents to decrease tension and prevent disagreements from escalating? Well, yeah, you were asking me this specifically, and I think that what I wanted to speak to is that when we're in those challenging moments, whether, in fact, whether it's with our teenage children, whether it's actually with other people, with our bosses, mm. with all sorts of places, what I feel that um, we begin to notice is that we go into holding our breath in some way, that our body would brace in some way. What I mean by that is there's a tightness that comes yes. into our body. And so in that, what's happening is there is this automatic response. So you might have heard of the flight fight system. Mm -hmm. It's when we either want to kind of get away or we go into a kind of more of a defensive kind of fight system. And so what I wanted to um, look at, and I do a lot of work with that, is like seeing how the body responds, what muscles tighten up, what happens in our breath, 
So I thought I would give a, like a little practical thing that is something that could be tried out just to support when you notice that you're getting activated and you're, <laughs> and you're getting very tight. It's just something simple, just as a way of giving a pause, giving a, a little bit of a, a time out from going into reaction. Mm. So I'm going to get us all to do it. Okay. And so the first thing to do is, is like, if you just take your fingers and you just open your fingers and close your fingers. Just opening and closing your fingers. And as you open them, just really stretch your palms. So you, mm. you can feel this stretching in your palms as you open and close your fingers. So this actually gets the blood away from the center of your body down into your fingers. Nice. And then at the same time, begin to rotate your spine. So you're just like going at your own rhythm, but just like kind of just letting yourself oh, rotate your spine. So it's a kind of a twist. It's a so twist. twisting. It's a twist, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what this does is it begins to move the diaphragm. So this is, one, this is a, a muscle that's connected to breathing. So you can go and move how you like. It's important in somatic movement to follow what feels good. Mm. But you might begin to notice, oh, I can begin to breathe a little. You can move however you want to move, but this is an accessible way in. And then the other piece that I wanted to name is that you can also count breathing. I mean, it's, a, it's many meditation practices mm -hmm. do that. But if you feel yourself getting really tight, breathing is not going to be so accessible. So moving begins to wake up breathing. Okay. But then if you count on breathing, for example, you can try it yourselves. If you count on the in-breath, maybe you can count to three. Breathing in through your nose. You can breathe out through your nose or through your mouth. And see if you can count to four or five on your exhale, making your exhale longer. Maybe you can breathe in for four, count out for six. Your breath will be unique to you. But when we begin to slow our breath, make the breath longer, it automatically begins to calm us a little mm. bit. So I have one more if I've got time. If yes, I've got time. Sure, yes. So if you're listening, just let yourself stand up a minute. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to stand up because you need to hear my voice. But if you stand up, and so sometimes it's like, you know, like it's like bend your knees just so you can kind of rotate your spine or you can bend your knees. So it's really getting movement through the whole body. So taking that moment, rotating, and then bend or wiggle. You can get creative. It's one of the other things I wanted to say. <laughs> We're all unique in our expression. Sometimes you might want to move faster. Sometimes you might want to move slower. But actually, when you move, you're kind of moving that kind of energy that gets built up. And so it's really like then when you think, ah, oh, now I'm ready to speak. Okay. <laughs> you'll have had a pause and you won't be in reaction. So I gave different examples, but the ones with the hands or just the silent rotating, you can kind of do quietly. Nobody really notices. Mm -hmm. Or the counting in, counting out, nobody notices. It's amazing. <laughs> People don't notice. <laughs> but it's like if you really need to kind of calm down, you can walk out of the room and mm -hmm. just do a little bit bigger moving. So, so it's really just a, a little something that's easy to do, gets the body into movement, allows you to come back to yourself a little bit. Mm. Well, that's great, Jane. So counting to 10 has its merits when you say <laughs> you're counting, <laughs> <That is merit. laughs> counting to 10 has its merits. So thanks, thank you for that, because I know I often forget to breathe and, and move. So, so that's a, a, a nice quick exercise to remind yourself and to get grounded. So thank you, Jane. That's very pleasure. helpful. Pleasure, pleasure.
So now I'd like to welcome Susan Dingle, who is a therapist, a poet, and community advocate based in Long Island. Hi, Susan, and welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's great to be here. So what do you love about your work? Well, I do a lot of different kinds of things with people, and but what what it all has in common is that I help people look at things in a new way, sometimes mm -hmm. by changing the perspective, something unexpected emerges, whether it's in counseling or in poetry or in working with communities. So I want to know, as a social worker and therapist who is experienced in the field of addiction, what advice can you give parents who are worried that their teen is experimenting, or even worse, addicted to alcohol or drugs? Well, that's really a parent's worst nightmare, isn't it? Sure is. That your adorable child is experimenting and something really terrible is going to happen. But wait, please don't jump to the worst possible conclusion before having a conversation with your child. First, find out whether your fear has any basis. Maybe your child's behavior has changed. Maybe they're not communicating and they just stay in their room all the time. The diagnosis could be teenager. But <laughs> Go ahead and have that conversation anyway, whether it's for the first time or, or because you have noticed something that concerns you. So I just thought, here's my top 10 suggestions for having that conversation about substances or anything else that concerns you. So first, create a neutral framework for the conversation, not your grades are down, you're in your room all the time, and I'm afraid you're gonna wind up in the gutter. How quickly fear rushes to judgment. Instead, be mindful and just mm. notice without judging. More like, I notice your grades are down and you're in your room all the time, and I just wanna check in with you. Now that you're whatever age, a lot of things are changing for you. So what's going on? Second, be specific about what concerns you. A drop in grades, a lack of interest in your, their appearance, a change in their friends. Third, expect the unexpected when you ask this question. Listen for what they aren't saying. If it seems to you there's something important they're not saying, mention that. Say, seems like there's something going on that you aren't comfortable talking about. Four, Listen to the answer. Let them know you understand some things are private. Five, then ask if there's some adult they do feel comfortable talking with about what they don't want to talk about with you. Maybe a teacher or a coach or a relative or a family friend. Six, the main thing is that the child can identify an adult they can talk to. Parents, that might not be you. Uh-oh. Okay. That's okay. Your kids are in a stage of individuation and separation right now, also called growing up. They will be distancing from you. Nothing wrong with that. It's normal. You just want to make sure your child does have an adult to talk to, whether or not there's an issue. Seven, if they don't have a person, assure them that an outside person who can listen and understand without judging can really be helpful. P.S. Every kid and every parent, for that matter, needs that go-to safe person they can talk about things with. 
eight. If there is something going on with substances or anything else, it's more likely it will come out in a discussion with that neutral third person. Kids often don't want their parents to know what's going on because they're afraid their parents will jump to the worst case scenario. Nine, it's all about trust. You want your kids to trust that you have their back, that you will make sure they have their go-to support person in case there's something they don't feel comfortable talking to their parents about. And if you are non-judgmental and compassionate enough in this conversation, you might just be that someone your child will turn to. 10. If there is something not resolved in that conversation, or if your child is very resistant, then express your concern and suggest making an appointment with a school guidance counselor or an outside therapist. It's always good to offer a choice when there's an ultimatum. So to sum it up, to have a conversation about substances or anything else with those who are 10 going on 20, rather than rush to judgment, be open in your communication and respect your child's wishes while providing a safe way for your child to talk about whatever they can't talk about with you. That was great, Susan. Thanks a lot. That was very helpful to parents. And I think what was especially helpful was the script or the lines that you give to parents because sometimes parents don't know what to say. So you actually help them craft some of the things to say to them. So thank you, Susan, for that. Thank you for the opportunity, Liz. Now I'm going to introduce my next guest, Dr. Stefan Schroeder, who is a German psychiatrist, university lecturer, and head of a psychiatric department in a general hospital in Germany. Welcome, Stefan. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so what do you love about your work? What I love about my work is that I work in a team. We're a big team with all different kind of uh, professionals like doctors, psychologists, body therapists, music therapists, dancing therapists, yoga therapists. We are uh, quite a lot of like addiction uh, specialists and so on. So I, I love working at, in a team and, and be head of a team and empower my team to empower the patients and their relatives. And so I am very happy to empower you, to empower the parents, to empower <laughs> the children. So that's what I love most. Well, that's great. Empowerment is the word of the day. Thanks, Stefan. Uh, your question today is, is based on the fact that many parents are struggling with teens and young adults who are anxious and depressed. Young people have to deal with a broken world. In the United States, they have to worry about school shootings. Kids have to worry about terrorist attacks, climate change, the pandemic, plus the ordinary teenage challenges that they face, like peer pressure and bullying. So from your point of view as a psychiatrist, how do parents deal with this? So thank you for the question. And I think it's not a U.S. American problem, what you point to. We have school shootings, unfortunately, in Germany too, mm. rarely, but we have it. And we have a lot of young people with anxiety uh, problems and depressed people. And if you look uh, at the state of the world, uh, it's, uh, I can understand all the climate kind of uh, criticism and the, the whole uh, movement that is in the United States, also, but also in Europe, all over the world. They, 
they want to preserve our our planet so it's i think it's right that they they are uh, criticizing us uh, uh, old people that <laughs> we have not, <laughs> not taken care of our planet the way we we should have taken care of it and a lot of things it's, for me as a psychiatrist is often difficult because i'm i often think it's not the circumstances i think we you can you can be depressed in the in the face of, of difficult uh, situations, but it go all, can also be relaxed and healthy. But I think it's good to also to look in the circumstances and look what what is the anxiety about and what is oh. what is really the the problem. If I uh, can give you an example, my uh-huh. my daughter, sure. my daughter just uh, she was uh, in a lockdown in Paris, quite severe, and she could not. Uh, she gave birth to her child. So my grandchild was born on the day she's she's traveling to Germany and she and she was really depressed these last days and she was depressed because of the circumstances because the circumstances were not allowing her to share her child with her family. When I, I was when I was thinking what I should say what pearl of wisdom I should give to this broadcast of Dr. Liz, I was thinking um, it's kind of. And it already, Susan pointed it out already, really to listen and also Beate and also um, Jane, to listen, to listen, stop and listen, because there's so much going on. The separation, individuation causes so much emotions also in us parents and grandparents, mm. if I may, may add that too. More in the parents, the grandparents maybe mostly are more relaxed, that stop and listen what is really the message they want to say and then one other thing is very important for me to forgive to forgive myself the faults that i've made and that i'm in peace with myself forgive myself fully for the faults that i've made and forgive my child mm. for things that so that we are in, in peace with each other mm, that's great well i, I want to ask you another question a follow-up question how do you distinguish or how do parents distinguish normal teenage moodiness from mental illness? Because <laughs> that's kind yeah, of hard. So, you know, I don't believe it. Thank you for your questions. Are really great, uh, Dr. Liz. Um, I don't believe in a clear border of what is normal and what is pathological. So there's such a lot of emotions between 10 and 20, so strong emotions, and it's important. Also, and even if it's acted out, it's all normal. It really has to be a very like severe thing, like a suicide attempt or something that is really like something that is like a criminal thing that really has to take a special uh, professional awareness and but i would i would uh, uh, the broad a very broad range of emotions and and behaviors should be considered as normal in that special decade mm. but what are the red flags of anxiety and depression that they should worry about like when they should see somebody a suicide attempt like a drug it was already spoken very well from susan and mm. maybe major major also behavior problems like like eating uh, problems that really uh, end up in loss of body weight that is uh, not normal or other behavioral problems need professional uh, attention. Mm. So it sounds like if there's a serious change of behavior, trying to talk to your child is important. And then that may be the path to take to go see a therapist. 
but yeah. then to see a psychiatrist, it, it has to be even, it doesn't have to be, but it's usually no. a more severe. Like Susan, like Susan pointed out, I think parents are um, worrying a lot. And, and, and if there's a little thing, we think, oh God, this is, we're catastrophizing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Parents. And parents uh, um, tend to think it's very bad. Maybe it's not as bad and it's like a phase they're going through. And it's important also to like the rebellion and the separation. It's all well, it's not easy to stand it, but it's great to, to see the child and the adolescent has to find his own. So that's great. So thanks, Stefan, for that. Thank you. I think it's very helpful and uh, very insightful. Thank so, you very much. Last but not least, we are going to hear from Dr. Elizabeth Bell, who is a retired pediatric nurse with a PhD in nursing, who is now a facilitator, elder, and poet based in California. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank thanks, you. Thanks for participating today. Absolutely. I think you can guess what question I'm going to ask you. <laughs> yes, I think I've got the <laughs> So what do you love about your work? <laughs> well, it's an interesting question for me because actually my work at this point of 82 years of experience is uh, living my life as fully alive and engaged as I can be and having conversations with others as they age and having them open to a new way of viewing aging and finding real meaning and purpose in their lives. And that's a whole new phase of life. And there's a great deal of joy in opening to that mm. for myself and others. That's great. So you'll be integral in talking to grandparents because grandparents play an integral role in raising children. Some grandparents are actually doing the heavy lifting of parenting and are truly the sole guardians of their grandchildren, while others supplement, augment, and support parents and are an integral part of the family unit in general. So what is your view of the role of the grandparent in this day and age? Where do they fit in? Well, I think you use the word which is really appropriate. They are integral. And they have a very unique and special role. And they, what they do may differ. Like you mentioned, they may actually be stepping in to do some of the parenting. They may be more support. So they have different roles. But what I'd like to talk about more is who they are when they come to their roles. Okay. So they may do different things, but what do they bring to what they do? I... I'm very blessed to have four grandchildren, and I'm also a great aunt. And by the way, I'd like to include those folks in this conversation because they also can play a very significant role mm. with children. And I have six grandnieces and nephews, and they all are unique treasures in my life. They are all very different. And I actually have a wall in my office with pictures of all of them, and I call them the grands. <laughs> so, uh, because they really are, it is grand to have them in my life. And oftentimes, for grandparents or great aunts and uncles, they may not have the same intensity uh, that parents have in dealing with their children. And they have a different, if you will, agenda. When we're parents, we have a lot of expectations for our children and what they should do and be and how we want them to grow up. But as grandparents, first of all, we're hopefully not only older, but wiser. 
And mm -hmm. we tend to pay more attention to what's really important. And for anybody at any age, what's essential is that we all want to be loved. We all want to feel like we belong. And we want to be seen and heard for who we are as we are. Yes. And, and you often hear the grandparents get to spoil children, or their grandchildren. Well, over the years, I've learned that this is not so much about tangible things, but the intangible that matter. And so as I was getting ready for this, I, I went back to that, that old saying that I think most of the grandparents listening, if they are, will remember, and that is stop, look, and listen before you cross the street. <laughs> well, I changed one word, and that is love, look, and listen. Mm. So what I and any grandparents or great aunts and uncles out there can bring is unconditional love. That's, that's what it really means to spoil them, to be a safe place of love for them, a welcoming place. Again, unconditional, Let them, letting them know in all the ways you can that no matter what they do, you will be there for them. Hmm. As much as possible, being not judgmental. I find when I bring my judgment to any interaction with them, it immediately creates a wall. It's the quickest way to put a barrier between us. So instead, uh, the situation may present itself as a teachable moment. So it may be an opportunity to ask questions, not like, what are you doing? <laughs> but, you know, can we talk about maybe what's going on here? I, I'm a little confused or I'm curious. I'm curious. Mm. But finding a way to to open to what's going on for them. I um, I have a... Uh, one granddaughter who tends to be rather withdrawn and non-participative, and I tend to be pretty outgoing. So I, I can have some judgments. And I realize that the minute that I offer her opportunities to get involved, she's very willing, and it creates a whole different intimacy between the two of us. Mm -hmm. I also have another who plays incessant video games. <laughs> And, you know, that is not my world, but finding out what is the latest game? Why does he like it? What's he learning? Just being there with him while he's having a great time and bringing an open heart, no matter what. I was blessed with grandparents that I could go to and just kind of be myself. And they had love and welcome in the space. So the next one is look. And that this is really important. See what's there, not what you want to be there. As often uh, as parents, we often look and have the desires for our sons or daughters to fulfill our unfulfilled dreams. Uh, but see beyond to who they really are. What are their gifts, their talents? What lights them up? What brings mm. them alive? And that may change between 20 and 10 and 20. <laughs> they may have many different answers. Support them and empower them to be all they can be. There's a, um, I, again, I work with a lot of elders, and oftentimes what you hear people say at the end of their life is, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Mm. And so what, what is true to those grandchildren? What can you see and acknowledge in them that they can't even see in themselves yet. And let them know also what they bring to your life. Acknowledge the joy that they bring, whatever it is they bring, acknowledge that. And last, listen, get into their world. Christmas gifting for, for us, my experience was always presents, tangible gifts. But as a grandparent, what I've been doing 
is giving experiences. So uh, allowing that time and that presence to be with the grandchildren in different ways because they're all different. Mm. And I read recently that studies show that two-thirds of youth do not feel that they have a supportive adult in their life. That's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> and when you talk about an integral role, this is an integral role that grandparents can play. Making it safe for them to express whatever it is they need to express. And when I was growing up, uh, there were not uh, there were feelings that I couldn't express, and it wasn't safe to express them. So, allowing grandchildren to just emote and express themselves in a space of love would be a huge gift. So, and listening also without judgment or criticism, but with curiosity and really seeking to understand, mm. because they are in a different world than you are. They sure are. <laughs> right. And listening first. Sharing stories is great, but make sure you listen first. Writing legacy stories and letters, letting them know about their history and their ancestors, and letting them know how you see the legacy of their ancestors showing up in their lives and having them be proud of that. So listening to their stories with curiosity and a real desire to understand the world from their perspective. Mostly taking time to give gratitude for the blessings that they are in your life and love, look, and listen. Thank you. So thank you for that. Thank you for being on. I think you shared a lot of important points that will be helpful to grandparents, aunts, uncles, everyone. So that uh, Elizabeth was my last guest. So I would like to thank all of the guest experts that shared their insight today. It's been a pleasure collaborating with you all over these years. So thanks again. And hopefully you'll all come back on to share your expertise in more depth. Thank you. <laughs>